Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Golden Artist Colors makes the best acrylics, Williamsburg oils, and core watercolors. And you can find them in your local art store or online at goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is also sponsored by Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. Fulcrum makes amazing coffee, and you can head over to their website at fulcrumcoffee.com and check out their subscriptions. They have an amazing variety that you could choose from and have coffee delivered to your house every month. Everything from light roast subscription to espresso to all brands, single origin. They even have a sunset subscription, a jazz alley night subscription. It's a really cool curated coffee experience that can be delivered to your door. And you can get a discount by adding the code Alfred Studio whenever you check out from the website. Fulcrum Coffee Roasters from Seattle. Check them out. Leah Guadagnoli is an artist who lives and works in Hillsdale, New York. She received her BFA in painting and art history at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign and her MFA in visual arts at the Mason Gross School of the Arts at Rutgers University. Her recent solo exhibitions include Hollis Taggart, Isaac Eisberg Gallery, Victory Mo, Sadie Hale Projects in Minneapolis, and 24-7-365 in New York. Recent group exhibitions include Cook Latham Gallery in London, Hesse Flatow in New York, Alush Benais Gallery in Athens, Greece, Hollis Taggart in New York, Freight and Volume in New York, and Hashimoto Contemporary in San Francisco, Ortega y Gasset in Brooklyn, and White Columns in New York. She's been an artist-in-residence at Yaddo, the Macedonia Institute, Wasaic Projects, and the Tilliard Projects Artist Residency in Kenya. In 2017, she was awarded the Lighthouse Works Fellowship, and in 2016, she received a full fellowship to attend the Vermont Studio Center. She currently teaches painting and drawing at the University at Albany and has a two-person exhibition on view at One River School with Zuriel Waters in Woodbury, New York. Lee and I spoke about getting out of the city, finding the right material, growing garlic, pajama days, and much more. Here's our conversation. And your place looks pretty festive too. You look like you might be in a bar. I yeah, I li- I live in an old church, so this is I'm in my living room because um, my studio is cold and there's nothing in it. Because of my show, so it's not even worth trying to like. And the internet can kind of be a little iffy in there, so I'm like, it's close I to like the. I like this environment. This Thank nice. you. Yeah, I, it's very cozy here. And you are in. I'm in Hillsdale. Hillsdale, right? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know if that was like the current state of where you were. Yeah, I've been here for three years. How is Hillsdale? It's the bomb. I love it. Yeah. It's so wonderful. The Hudson Valley. It's so beautiful. There's. A ton of um, incredible artists that live up here, and I have a lot of space, and so 
Oh, you got to rub it in. Show off. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I don't know. It's like I'm farther from the city now, but I, you know, it's an exchange. I have friends that come here and yeah. then when I want to be in the city, I got a couch or a futon or an air mattress to crash yeah, It's on. a short commute. I mean, I, I it's really, these days it's taking a lot for me to not be upstate. Like, I feel like my heart wants to go outside the city. I mean, yeah. I love the city, but I'm ready for some, some R&R as far as like pace, you know what I mean? And space. Yeah. And I... It's really nice. And it's not for everyone either. No, no, neither is Brooklyn. Yeah. (laughs) So, and, you know, I kind of ended up here, like, I I moved up here and for a while I was going back and forth and had a spot in the city too, but it just became too much and, like, not worth it. And I recognized that all my friends are coming here. I can go there too. And that's it. Well, I think that's a good way to do it too because you do the the sort of litmus test, you know. It's like, oh, well, I got one foot in both places and and then see how it feels. And then if you find yourself never going to the other place, you're probably in the right spot. Yeah. And like, well, then there's no pressure to either. You're just like, you go when you feel like you need to or you want to, not because like, well, I'm paying rent and so I better make it worth it. Yeah, exactly. Um, So, Although... For some people, that's the carrot dangled in front of the mule to keep them going. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> totally, definitely. But I, yeah, I feel good. And I have like a bunch of, I have like a lot of gardens and I have chickens and I just, it's like its own little, I don't know, universe here. Yeah. That it's also requires attention. You know, I li- the place I live is from 1852. So it's got some upkeep. It's got upkeep, and um, I don't ever. I want to ne- don't want to neglect it. It feels like it needs to be taken care of in a nice Are way. You, like it's not like yeah. oh my god, everything's it's going falling apart. You know, like it's <laughs> Money just pit. like yeah, no. It's, it's like the stairs are falling down. And it's <laughs> pretty solid. They used to make. I mean, look at this. The beams here. It's like insane. This is all oh, like those are those are good beams. Yeah, this is like. They don't. They don't make stuff like this anymore. They don't. They don't make them like they used to. <laughs> no, they don't. It's like hand milled. I'm like, this is crazy. Someone like chopped down a tree, and they like did this with their hands. It's pretty it's a nice cool. feeling. Yeah. yeah. Now, are you handy? Yeah, I think I can be when I need to be. For upkeep purposes. Yeah, like I. Um, YouTube is really helpful. Oh yeah, YouTube. And sometimes you just gotta call the plumber. That's true. There's certain things you gotta outsource. I think. Yeah, and I've learned that. That's the thing electrical, I've learned the most. Is just for me, like it's electrical. Yeah, some things you're like, I can do that, and then you realize how much money you spend with trial and error, and how much time. And you're like, next time when the tub is not draining, I'm just gonna call Bradwin. You know, Bradwin. Right. They might charge me a lot, but there's a reason why, because they get the job done. Right. Yeah, the only, the rub is, is whenever you call someone in to do something, because you're like, hey, I probably shouldn't do that, and they send someone who's horrible, and you're like, wait a minute. Now, that happens, too. (laughs) I've had that a lot. Yeah, that happens, or or you realize you're, like, with the heat, you're like, I just ran out of fuel, and then you got to call them to, like, refill it, and then they got to, they 
pay, you know, you got to pay $50 just to have them show up. And right. you're like, I got to be more on top of this, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like The show up fee. Yeah, the show up fee. What the hell? You try to like charm and flirt. Like, you want some tea? Maybe they won't charge me the fee. Oh, you, you think they might bypass it? Yeah. But, a cup of tea? <laughs> I don't works. know. You want some cookies? Like, <laughs> I don't know. But. I don't know. She's really nice. Yeah, exactly. I don't know, but I know they have bosses and stuff. So, but I have some. Ha- I also have made friends with some really handy neighbors that are contractors that are cool, yeah. and so, you know, we have like a lot of bartering. Like that's very natural, like and kind. Like I make a lot of bread, and I'll like give my neighbors leftovers or bread and then they're like oh your solarium is leaking a lot i'm like yeah i know i have no idea what to do they're like i can help and you're like that's really cool thanks yeah that's that's kind of like the way it should be you know i feel like people would do a better job like everyone would value things more if it were if it weren't just money you know like if you were trading like services and exactly like the trade barter system i can do this thing can you do that thing or like yeah, and it feels really, like, no one owes anyone anything. It's just, like, you just give what you have, and I love that. And it, everyone benefits. Yeah. I think that requires, though, that people actually enjoy what they do. Because then you want to do something for someone else because you don't mind, because, you know, you're really into electrical or whatever. Yeah. Or you're into baking. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I feel like I feel like we're painting a good in my mind painting a picture of like how you grew up through how your current situation, but maybe it's not the case. I mean, did you grow up in the suburbs, in the city or out in the sticks? I grew up in the suburbs. See, that's what I, that would have been my guess because it seems like you did some city living, but you've learned, you've, you're learning to enjoy nature or like the you know yeah. the space and the outdoors yeah well i grew up going to um the i li- grew up in illinois and the southwest southwest suburbs of chicago and um i would spend the winter like winters parts of winter and my summers in michigan my my uncle owned a jellystone campground in grayling michigan And so we would go snowmobiling and kayaking and like, I loved it. I looked forward to doing that every year, like all of those things. I loved being on the kayak and like on the river and I loved being on the snowmobile and just hearing the hum of the motor and the, you know, the fumes in my face and just like listening to like, I don't know motion city soundtrack on my headphones and like in high school like on the snowmobile like I just felt so cool and empowered and like anyway so like I like recognize that yeah like this is important to me like this the sense of just feeling an openness around me yeah felt like a and I never I mean the suburbs are the like the, I feel like the worst place to live, but maybe not. I mean, everyone's very neighborly, and they, that's a nice thing to grow up around. But the aesthetics of the suburbs. I remember being a kid, and we grew. Up, I grew up in this town called Plainfield, and the trees were so small that 
um, they didn't give off any leaves in the fall. And I was so bummed out because I grew up when I was younger, like even younger, like in a town where the trees were bigger and it never felt like fall. So I went to my grandma's house and offered to rake all her leaves. And I was like, mom, I got all these leaves. And like, do you mind if we just like spread them all over our yard? And she's like, sure, (laughs) because she loves like Halloween and fall. And she also felt like she was missing out on that. And like, I can now, like in the t- at the time it made so much sense to me and as a homeowner with lots of leaves, I'm just thinking about like, oh my God, why would my mom let me do that? <laughs> like, but I needed it. I needed to feel the cozy fall. Yeah. No, and she probably felt like you were being, you know, like giving yourself a, a gig, like you were enjoying this thing and, you know, it's just, I'm sure a parent would feel kind of like excited by that. It's kind of like if you moved to Florida from the Midwest and like you miss snow, so you just went outside and sprinkled soap suds. Like <laughs> exactly, no. give yourself the feeling of like winter. Totally, like I was exactly, exactly. So that that whole what was it called the camping or the oh yeah a Jellystone campground like Yogi Bear. Those were like kind of like all in one facilities or yeah was it spread like camp- out or. Uh, I feel like I've stayed like you probably have it's like it's like a chain a franchise right and yeah so there's like camping there's little cabins there's a little movie theater where you walk in and there's like playing Yogi Yogi very tiny a DIY like playing Yogi Bear and you get the I was cool because I got free popcorn and slushies because my uncle owned the joint and like there were mini golf and like I always had like a summer boyfriend, you know, like, Fun. yeah, you know, like <laughs> riding my bike. It was just like, it felt like a contained universe and it was so epic to me as a kid. And then I loved it. Yeah. Those kind of, um, especially like summer camp things, anything you could do that felt like exotic, like you're getting away was such like a breath of fresh air from the normal day to day humdrum you know, suburban life sort of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, I loved it. And um, yeah, my mom would always make this delicious sub sandwich for the ride up because it was like seven hours. And I would like, that would be like something I'd really look forward to. Like yeah, yeah. she put the olive oil and vinegar and the oregano and I'd be like, oh, it's so good. Like I just, yeah, very Was fond- your mom a good cook? My mom made some choice things. She was, like, she didn't cook a lot, but when she did make things that I loved, I really appreciated it. Like, she made, and she still does, make incredible stuffed artichokes. That is her. Oh, wow. They're so good. That's her specialty? Yeah, and chicken cacciatore. Like, Italian-American food was kind of her jam. And, but I grew up um yeah like my mom didn't like she didn't really cook that much but I really enjoyed cooking from a young age and um so I like insisted that on Fridays I would cook dinner for everyone when I was like really young and my sister my little sister and I would have make pizza out of the jiffy box and (laughs) like that was what we did for like ever like every Friday was pizza night and that was pretty fun and then I eventually got a little bit better with more diverse things but right well is Friday night still pizza night 
in your house? No, not anymore. Not anymore? <laughs> Every night is pizza night. <laughs> oh, is it? That's no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, how's the pizza in Hillsdale? Oh, um, hmm. there's a few spots to get it, and they're pretty terrible. There you go. Um, yeah, but yeah. if I go a little farther, like Hudson or Great Barrington, there's some really good spots. New Haven, you could make the drive to Pepe's. Oh, I've never, that's kind of far, but I maybe I'd do it. But oh, you've never had Pepe's? No, is it epic? New oh. Haven pizza is a must. Oh my God, well, I'm, I'm going to go just for the pizza. Uh, yeah, that would, you wouldn't be the first. Like people go there for the pizza. The pizza there is incredible. It's weird. I don't know why New Haven, but good hey, pizza. That's amazing. I mean, I love pizza. And there's a spot here, though, called uh, Berkshire Mountain Bakery that's in Great Barrington. Massachusetts mm-hmm. I'm like right on the border so like it's right. closer actually for me to go to Great Barrington than it is to go to Hillsdale like the town um and they sell they make delicious pizza it's out of control but they also sell their crust their sourdough crust frozen as a flat thing nice. and so that's the jam like yeah I get like five or six and put them in my deep freezer and then like you do Plus, your thing on it. Yeah, whatever. If the garden's yeah. good, put whatever is good in the garden. If whatever is in the fridge, it's a really, it's a good treat. And it's it's just amazing. It's so good. The crust. Crust is key. You know, they had to do it around here. Like Fresh Direct will get you Roberta's frozen pizzas and they're actually pretty good. Oh, yeah. Considered. Oh, yeah. So they're vacuum sealed, right? Yeah. Yeah, I've had that. I mean, compared to other crap. You know what I mean? Like pizza. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a Papa John's a few blocks on Grand Street here you in Brooklyn. I'm like, how would people, like... Some people do it. They just want that flavor. I guess so. That familiar I'm not knocking it for those <laughs> listeners who love Papa John's, but, I mean, geez. They make it hard to love it. Yeah, I mean... Ethically. Co- coming from <laughs> Illinois, though, like, Chicago area, like, I definitely grew up eating a different type of pizza. Yes, me too. Um, but, and I love it all. I just, I have no, I have never, like... Detroit style, any kind of style. Just give me the cheese and bread. So you full on Italian American? No. I'm Italian and German and I've always been told a pinch of Swedish, though I don't know what that means. So you need the twenty three yeah, I get that stuff all the time. You need the twenty three and me it or whatever it's called. Yeah, I might not be any of those things. I learned through uh, the ancestry dot com that Oh, I did some of that. It's fun, isn't it? Yeah, my family was in Brazil for a while. Wow. During the gold rush. And Entrepreneurial. Yeah, I think that was kind of a thing. There was a moment for that where a lot of Italians were going to Brazil for gold and they didn't get any. They didn't get lucky, my mom likes to say. <laughs> but um They went to Carnival. They yes, they sure <laughs> did. And they Yeah, exactly. And so I I kind of wonder, like, maybe something, ha- some sort of cross-pollination happened there. I don't know. But hey. if I could have, I could be Brazilian, maybe. I get really tan. I don't know. That'd be cool. Um, you couldn't blame them for that happening. Yeah, you should do the... the I would love I, to see, know I that. I to do it, too. Because I, need to do it. I do feel like a connection with tropical places and, like, but, like, deep a deep connection. Yeah. So I don't know. That's ridiculous for me to say. Well, wait, that, is the Italian side like Sicilian? Is it like the Southern? I mean, it is I the Mediterranean. S- yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's true. 
I Aren't like most Italian Americans like Southern Italian? Yeah, I think so. I mean, around here, Brooklyn, it's like all. Yeah, I guess my my grandfather was buried in the same cemetery as El Capone. Wow, that's a t- that's something. That's cool, right? That's something to tell your kids. I know, right? <laughs> like, um, I and there's I there are I you know no one wants no one in my family ever wanted to talk about our like past like in terms of there's so much like pride with assimilation and like my grandmother was German and my my grandfather was Italian and no one I remember trying to interview them for like history projects and I never could get through there my great-grandmother would be like oh Mussolini blah 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 and then I'd like winning I had no info like and I feel like I really my grandmother died this year um I'm sorry and, oh, thank you it was terrible I miss her so much and I tried like she, like she was getting older to like get more stories from her but she moved to the United States when she was 19 so most of her life was here yeah she still couldn't pronounce any of the she still said it with a d <laughs> I love it <laughs> can you um, pass the mashed potatoes you know (laughs) (laughs) she never lost that no it was amazing i loved loved it oh my god so i'm trying to think of that the whole idea because i've been told like certain things ethnically about my family because i'm a a big mix of like all sorts of stuff and uh, i just feel like some of that stuff is probably like you know incorrect yeah. You know, and my uncle did a genetic test, so I did get some hard facts from that because obviously that's like my dad's brother, so there's some genes there. But um, to that point, it was like, it's funny because like the things that people pass down from family to family is probably going to be the good things. So yeah. when you go digging for old stories, it's probably not going to be great because the things that weren't so great, they probably didn't want to pass down. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know I mean? So you're like, I'm just trying to tread lightly or but i would really like to know the, the, the one of the i really want to know if i have if i'm brazilian that would be so cool <laughs> like i would be very happy with that i'm just to know that to like live my whole life thinking i'm just like italian and, and german sounds so boring and midwestern right. uh, like like everyone was italian and american or right, italian right. and german where i grew up and so I would be very stoked and um but I guess I just have to take the test because according to ancestry.com they were there for a while. So yeah. I mean you should look into it either that or put on like you know a week straight of Jao Gilberto and see if it drives you crazy or if you feel like it it hits the sweet spot. <laughs> exactly. Then maybe you just know, you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean does samba work for you or does it, you know? <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's. I mean, it's really interesting now that we can dig back and like actually get the percentages. And but the scary thing is, is like, yeah, and you'll have like an eighty percent chance of having an aneurysm and dying with a heart attack or whatever. You know. Oh yeah, the other stuff that's the like, beautiful genetic coding that's given to you. <laughs> yeah. The, no thanks. I uh, yeah yeah I know exactly, but it. I should do it. That should be my Christmas gift to myself this year. I think we have a plan. You got to get back to me on that. I will you let know you know. We'll follow up. <laughs> so how does the how does creativity enter the fold here with this youth of yours in Illinois? 
in the suburbs. Oh yeah. With your partially Brazilian <laughs> heritage oh, yeah. and factoring into your palate. <laughs> Who knows, right? Like uh, that's an excellent question. And it's like um but yeah, I um I I felt like since a very young age, I always made like drawings and art. I just yeah. was like a part of me. I feel like it's a part of most children. Yeah, kids draw, and then yeah. it's a matter of whether it real life squeezes them out of them and yeah. just crushes that. You and know, my, my, wonder. My Omi, my grandmother. I always call her Omi. Oma is like German for grandmother, but I always said Omi. And mm-hmm. my Omi was very supportive of me as an artist um i would she would always set up drawing material at the kitchen table when i would I'd spend every saturday with her my whole childhood i'd spent the night it was like i looked forward to it all the time and we would go to museums and plays and she would create really comfortable places for me to draw and she would in chicago she would take yeah. you to the city uh yeah, yeah we go to the art institute yeah nice. and it's a great place. Yeah, and it she just like saw that I liked doing this thing and like kind of like encouraged it and I would make little drawings of like a wine glass or whatever, you know, some dumb stuff and she would submit it to Highlights magazine and Oh my god, Highlights. Like, yeah, and it would get accepted and I would like be like, "Oh my god, oh me, I'm famous." And she'd you be made so, highlights? I made highlights. And Congratulations. Thank that you. should be on the CV like should, way back. Yeah, way back. Like 1996. Um yeah, she so it's like she did these gestures that like really encouraged me and I always had very supportive incredible art teachers growing up that's an advantage yeah and like there was i kind of had this there was only one like dud during in middle school she was kind of a bitch but like any everyone else was awesome and especially when i got to high school i i worked with that's our teacher michael freitag who i still talk to to this day and he was just we had a really amazing rapport. He would like fail me at midterm and put, you need to work harder. And my mom get, would be step your game up. Like, and it, it's like, obviously like I was working my ass off, but it's like, we had this like comedic, I felt like, Oh, he treats me like an adult. Like that's like sarcastic and funny. And my yeah. mom's just confused, but is going along with the joke and putting my, you know, progress report on the, fridge anyway and um yeah I remember he and I liked him so much um that I made sure that I took art all of high school and that I only took classes with him even though there were other art teachers I just like developed a very strong bond and relationship with him and I was kind of antisocial in high school like not lame I was very outgoing but like I just didn't like clicks and I never belonged to any like I was an, you know, I was an artsy, you know, an artsy kid who like ran cross country and track and also was in yearbook and just like, I did so many different things that no one knew like where to, like, I never knew where to sit at the lunch table. It confused everyone. Yeah. They're like, like where is Leah going to sit for is lunch? Is she the art kid? Is she the nerd? Is she like the overachiever? Is she the sporty one? Yeah. And like there was, I just... And I had friends in all of these groups, and so I always had a lot of social anxiety during lunch because I didn't know where to sit. 
Yeah, lunch sucks. I yeah. think lunch is the worst. Yeah, I was like, where do everyone. I go? Like, I don't know. I like everyone at all these tables, and I don't want to choose. And I, um, so I started having lunch with my, like, when I got lucky, sometimes my M- Michael Freitag, Mr. Freitag, I still, he wants me to call him Michael, and I'm like, I can't, Mr. Freitag. Um, <laughs> you're always going to be Mr. Freitag. He would be like, if I was lucky during a semester and our lunch is aligned, he would let me have lunch with him at the, in the classroom and said, like, you could just work on your stuff. And he'd put on Pearl Jam and eat a sandwich and, like, <laughs> or, like, explosions in the sky. And I'd be like, this is awesome. I feel yeah. so seen. And, like, um, that's, like, it was amazing. And then eventually I they made yearbook during the lunch hour. So I um, never had to deal with deciding where to sit again. Um, but then I decided that, you know, I was going to go to college and I was like the first person in my family to do so. And I was trying to decide what I wanted to study. And I was debating between math and art. Because <laughs> sure. that's like, you get like Pretty six close. subjects and you don't know that there's right. like anthropology and you could be, a, or you could be an astronaut or like, um, you could be a horticulturalist. Like there's like so many cool things, an architect. There's so many amazing things that you could study in school that you're not exposed to as a child. Like, it's so dumb. But I was lucky that I liked art because I was could apply to school for that, too. And, yeah, Mr. Freitag was like, I'm not going to, um, I won't write your letters of recommendation for anything but art. <laughs> oh. So, like, the one teacher that, like, knows me the best. Yeah. Like, won't write a letter of recommendation unless I apply to school for art. So, because of him, I'm here. Yeah, I guess he picked your future for you. Yeah, it was really helpful. <laughs> I mean, I pro- maybe would have found this path, probably, but I like to blame him a little bit. You literally made it a left brain versus right brain decision, though. It was like math or art. <laughs> I loved math. Well, I mean, my work is, has, like, is pretty geometric and it, or it had been for a while, like a while until recently. And so I always, I loved geometry and I loved equations and figuring them out and I felt pretty good at it, but, um, I'm glad I didn't study math. <sighs> yeah. You went the other end of the spectrum. Way the other end. And no rules. Total freedom. Yeah. Well, kind of, but yes. And well, self-imposed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm glad I made that decision. And, but yeah, that's sort of like how I became, you know, the trajectory of my childhood. And yeah, I just always felt there. I love telling this story. Like it, this is sort of the epiphany moment I had. And I, uh, I was, I was a kind of an overachiever kid. I, I really felt like I wanted to get out of the suburbs and my only way was through going to college, it felt like. So I worked really hard and um, it was like finals my junior year. And I, my, Mr. Freitag said, like, I want to really want to submit this drawing to Scholastic. Um, yeah, Another blast I, I, yeah the past. exactly. And I'm just like, oh my god, I could be a key, whatever gold key or whatever bullshit that was that felt validating. And then, um, but I had to finish with the drawing congruently with like finals. And so I made this like ridiculous decision that was ridiculous for me. Like, I just don't. I'm not going to study for my finals. I'm just going to finish this drawing and or painting and hope for the best. 
And so I'm like up to like three in the morning painting, which is something I do all the time now. But like, you know, when you have to wake up at 7 a.m. to go to school, it's a little different. And then yeah. um, I'm like painting and my dad, you know, he it's like he sees the light on and I hear the door open and from upstairs and he comes down in his whitey tidies and he's like, what are you doing, kid? It's 3 a.m. <laughs> and I'm just like, I just, I felt like this is it. I got to finish this painting. And I was like, oh, that was like the, that was the moment when I realized, oh, I'm going to be an artist. Like, this is really, I'm like, it felt like the small amount of sacrifice for me, like as a like 16 year old, like I'm sacrificing that I might not do well at my finals, but I'm going to get this drawing to go to Scholastic. And you were picking basically. Yeah. yeah. I was like, this making is what it, I want to do. Yeah. And it, I still did fine with my finals because I obviously paid attention the whole year, but it's kind of, a, I feel like it's pretty early though that you found that, you know, that you knew. Yeah. I felt very cer- certain. And I just was like, this is it. Like, um, I'm going to be an artist and this feels right. Like, so did that inform your decision for college? Yeah. As well as like yeah, when I where was, you were applying to and what you I only applied do? to one school. Well, that is the definition of putting all your eggs in one basket. Yeah. I, Thank God you got in. I don't know what I was thinking, but also I had no, no one guiding me. Like none of my parents, my parents never, I was the oldest sibling my parents never went to college. None of my aunts or uncles went to college. Yeah. Same. I I was like shooting in the dark. Like, and I... I Trailblazing. I like visited... I went to University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. And one of the art students in my school, as an, uh, in high school, she was a little older than me. She was an amazing artist. And she ended up going to U of I. And... I thought she, like, that's cool. She went there. She's going there. I want to visit. So I visited, and I was like, this place is amazing. Done. That was it. I'm I, going there. I'm going there. Like, I loved the campus. I loved, I I had thought, like, I don't want to go to the city. I don't want to go to Chicago. I want, I, I wanted the college experience. Like, that's something I decided. Right. Not, like, frat parties and stuff but I wanted to go I didn't want to go somewhere that was like specifically an art school yeah. I I wanted to go somewhere where I could also take like really interesting classes and other subjects that were like in U of I I like if you're from the Midwest you're like it's a public Ivy League you know and there was like right. some sort of prestige and like going there and getting in like whatever that's such bullshit now but like at the time I felt like I want to go there because I also want to feel academically challenged and so I double majored in art history and painting um nice yeah was the art history program pretty legit yeah it was hard I sucked at it and I remember having one of the I mean I didn't suck at it (laughs) wait how do you suck at art it's just memorization right yeah I'm not good at that and I'm dyslexic and reading comprehension is difficult when it's not visual so yeah yeah and Something I never knew, like realized that I was dyslexic. I just always thought it was really hard for me to read growing up, and I just had to work really hard. And I was like, "Why does everyone else? Why isn't it all?" I'm like, "Oh," and I learn as an adult, like, "Yeah, it's it's hard for you, and probably harder for than than other people." But 
Um, yeah, I had a art history professor, Irene Small, who was just so cool. She like wrote for Art Forum. She always dressed so good and like stylish. Like she lived in New York and she was like, you know, you're not really an art historian. You're an artist. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, you might not be able to see this, but I see it. And I'm like, okay, you're probably right. And I, I did well, like I still got good grades, but definitely it was like not much harder to study art history because I only had to take a few more classes. Right. So it's like one of those. Yeah. At the end, it was piggyback degrees. Yeah. yeah. It was at the end. It was quite funny because I had tried to get all these credit hours extra, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I knew that I was missing like six credit hours to be able to get both the degrees at the end. Yeah. And I got pulled into the office and like the chair of the painting department was like, so you're about to graduate soon. And, we see you're double majoring in painting art history, but like you're just shy of being able to actually get both. So like you have to choose. And so, but we have to tell you a surprise that we are awarding you like the like outstanding senior of painting award where you get some money and it's gonna be all good during graduation, but it's gonna look really bad on us if like you're an art history <laughs> major. <laughs> So, oh really? I thought you, they were gonna say it's gonna look bad if you don't have enough credits to be in art history. Maybe. Yeah, they're just like, so you're just gonna have to for graduation, you're gonna have to choose which one you want us to say. Wow. Like which which one you are gonna? And I was like, cool, just say painting. <laughs> there you go. But you do have that education in art history behind you. I do. Did you have to write a really long paper? lots of papers for like a thesis though like a yeah oh yeah and i remember what it was on yeah i wrote it on monique prieto oh monique prieto yeah because i and amy silman i think that was the combo i like talked about the both of them they were both artists i was looking a lot at during in my studio practice so i just was like i can just use this to my advantage and Are we talking like early Monique, where it's the shapes? Like yeah, the before sort of she started doing the thing. vegetation stuff. Yeah, vegetation. Wait, yeah. she went into text after the. There, I feel like when she had a kid, she like started. There, if I remember from then, like there was stuff. She was like referencing carrots and like just like baby food and like different. Like I didn't even know that. Vegetables. See, this is what your degree did. Yeah. Like, no. Maybe I'm totally, maybe I'm remembering this totally incorrectly, but no, I was going through like the stuff that was like extremely abstract and I, yeah, I loved her work. Um, because Monique, if you're, li- if you're listening, send a DM. Yeah, <laughs> send slip a into my DMs. About, I mean, is it carrots or no carrots? <laughs> no, I loved all, I mean, I, I love all her work. I think she's Isn't that early work amazing though? I mean, it was just so, I mean, clearly it was in the color field dynamic but it was just it felt so different and like funky and yeah fun. and i'm coming from the midwest and like no one's talking about that kind of work and like yeah. the only reason i was like exposed to it is because i studied abroad with um i mean there were actually that's not true my my professors in art at university of oh. illinois were like very knowledgeable of the new york art world but i was just like <laughs> wasn't like they were good. No, they were the bomb. I it swear. It was me, not you. That's no. Right. <laughs> I 
Tim Van Lahr and Vin- I mean, Melissa Picorni were like two of like the most influential people ever to me. Like they were incredible, and I would not be here be- without them. They were so encouraging and warm, and but like when I studied abroad, I studied with um, uh, Ridley Howard of all people. And it was Good so random. It was so random. Wait, how, w- under him or with him? Uh, he was it? your teacher or a fellow student? Oh, he was my teacher. Oh. Yeah, so I studied abroad in Cortona, Italy, and him and Holly were there together. And this is like 2011. So he's just like, you know, just showing at Leo Koenig like the next year. And she's with Cherry and Martin. And like, I had not just, like, been around New York artists ever, and I had no idea how cool they were. (laughs) (laughs) And so I'm just going into it, like, they're just some awesome teacher. Like, she wasn't teaching, but she was totally involved, you know? And I remember, I say this in a lot of interviews, but it's so formative to who I am today. He was just, like, I was so excited to um, show him my work. And I, because I'm like, I work my ass off. I'm like really dedicated painter. And then I show, show him my paintings on my like old matte white Mac because we're in Italy. And he's like, so what's your work like, kid? And I'm like, okay, it's like <laughs> showing him. I'm like working on paintings that are like super abexy, like flesh as paint paintings in like yeah. my junior year. Very on the scene of the time, I guess, but like a decade too late. And um he's just like you know your paintings are like two parts minimalism one part jenny seville and like i thought that was cool but the way he said it sounded like an insult right right (laughs) you were like oh that sounds great except for the stank you put on that yeah like the way you're saying it doesn't sound (laughs) good and he's like i think you should just make some collages with paper like solid paper and see where that really Yeah, and it was amazing. It was so prescriptive and, like, what I needed and, like, my work changed, like, immediately in the best way. Like, and I'm still, like, at the time I was, like, you know, you're an undergrad, you're, like, trying to find meaning and purpose in the work you make. So I'm, like, looking at, like, different flesh diseases and, like, zooming in on them and abstracting them and thinking that's so cool and then... That's so lame, but whatever. I was, I'm young and weird. I can allow. No, it can, that can be good. Any, any idea can be, I think, can be cliche. Yeah. I just if was it's like. it's done a certain way and anything could be great. I mean, look at Byron Kim's bruise paintings. Those are oh, amazing. They're so and good. That, that's You're kind right. of That's so, it's a good point. Yeah. And I mean, the, I look back at those paintings sometimes. I'm like, these are beautiful. Like. I definitely was like into the grotesque being beautiful and like sort of the secret of like not people not knowing what they're looking at and being seducted or, you know, through paint. And that's something I'm still interested in, you know? Um, And, but yeah, the work changed a lot then. And I, 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 he also was like, I was all like, I want to go to grad school immediately because I had nowhere to go, you know, I just wanted to go away, far right, away, right. and so I'm like, I want to, like, teach, and so I want to go to all these state schools, and he's like, you should go to the East Coast, or the West Coast, and 
um here's a list of schools you should look at so i like rip up the list of like all the like you know middle country state schools that give free rides to and toss that out and then he was like yeah my friend wendy white she went to rutgers you should like apply there and i applied there and 13 other schools um and then rutgers was the last school i applied to and I almost didn't because they have such a late application deadline. I'm like, I've already applied to so many. Right. What's another? Do yeah, I really I need to? Do I need to take the time to do one more? And I'm like, you know, I'm just gonna do it, and that's where I ended up going. Thank there you go. So I'm glad. Wow, Ridley was making like hardcore decisions there. Isn't it nice, like someone that is just gonna be like, I don't know, gonna just give you their opinion? I feel like decisive. People, yeah. yeah, like people don't do that as much anymore. They're like they don't that much anymore, but probably because of the trauma of the kind of people who did it in the past. I mean, I had, you know, I I talk about it all the time, but you know, I had a visiting artist come by the studio as an undergrad. I was like, dude, like painting's not for everyone. There's other stuff you can do. Yeah, no, man, that went, that's hard. It's like brutal, you know. It's like that's decisive and not nice. No, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, I um, I feel so grateful. Though I feel so grateful for my Omi, for my for Mr. Freitag, for like my professors at U of I and Ridley, and just like I feel like I've always had, I've been so lucky to have people who admire and support the work I make, and that's been important. So important to me. Yeah. To feel yeah. No, that. I think it's it's it. It buoys you in times where you're just like, man, what the hell am I doing? You know, like when it's hard because there is and I've had I agree with you. I had amazing teachers and then I had some clunkers, too, and they teach you stuff, too. Like the bad teachers teach you. Oh, for sure. Some things. And, you know, I've just had a lot of mentors early on as an artist because I was like, fortunate enough to start showing like pretty soon after graduate school and. You know, I didn't know what the hell was going on. So I had a couple friends who had been around the block for decades. And uh, they give you those little tidbits of, you know, like words of wisdom that can oh, yeah. really just float you. And, you know, I like I I had, you know, a friend who's a, you know, he's very well-known artist. He told me like early on, he's like, listen, things are going to go up and down. You know what I mean? You can have a good time. Like, there's going to be stretches where it's good. Totally. Stretches where it dips. It happens to every single artist. And he's like, you just have to stay on the surfboard. Like, you just have to catch that next wave. Don't bail. Just stay in the game. Yeah. And, like, things, the, the tide will come back up. And then you'll get knocked down again, you know? And it's true. It's like, that's life. Things go up and down. Yeah. You just have to keep doing your thing, you know? Yeah, and it's... You know, I, I, it, it kind of came full circle, too, because, like, Wendy White was teaching at Rutgers my second year, which is, like, yeah. the reason why I ended up there is because really knew Wendy and, like, it suggested it. Like, it wasn't, Rutgers, like, wasn't on the map as much before. I mean, it is, it, it was, but, you know, now that it's free tuition, so it's really Yeah, that, that boosted the profile a yeah. touch. Yeah. <laughs> that was two, that was a year before I was there, so... Oh, really? Yeah. Really? It happened a year after you were there. Yeah, mean? because a lot of us complained about the sort of social economic structure of the program, how it was really imbalanced. Like some students would get paid to go to school. 
some would have to pay and it was very apparent who those people were yeah. and it just seemed like kind of like you know you'd be told by department chairs like well we need leverage like the people from Yale we need them to be able to like come here because we can offer them this thing and then you know eventually they came to their senses and I was like how about no one pays and no one gets paid right well even the playing field yeah and um but oh yeah it's crazy that they pay like you know schools who aren't like in the epicenters will actually like assistantship and pay people yeah, to go to school there. Exactly. And so that's baffling and amazing. It's baffling, but like within well, Rockers is also like an extremely good program. So when they have that to offer because they're a state yeah. school, it's like pretty legit. But as someone who like didn't get that, um, you know, you're just like, what the fuck man? Like, yeah, it's it, like, it just doesn't create a good, um, energy and yeah, there's tension. Yeah, there's, there's the haves and haves. You're like, what do they have that I don't? I'm like, oh yeah, I'm like this chick from the Midwest. I'm straight from undergrad. Probably makes sense to me, but um, yeah. still, um, you know, it's okay. We all have our own paths, and I'm yeah, I worked out. So, but I am so glad that it is what it is, and it you know, it was because a lot of us had to like voice in our opinions and that's hard to do too when you're like in yeah. school and yeah it doesn't make you like like a favorite sometimes. yeah exactly yeah. you're like this this is not fair and you're like who oh, but i really need my scholarship <laughs> you know like <laughs> um, yeah so yeah, that's t- that well it sounds like everyone who went there after you owes you a little bit of gratitude oh yeah but you that's just the way you know you gotta that you gotta fight for what's right to party uh, in the famous <laughs> <laughs> lines of ad rock <laughs> yeah so but no so bad yeah so like wendy was there and she was amazing she taught for like a semester i took a class with her and i just was like dude this woman is the bomb like she was so real and so just like love talking about the art world and like I, she said exactly what you were talking about, about the surfboard analogy and just, um, she also felt like, I felt like she was like one of the first people I was studied with at Rutgers that like felt extremely supportive of the work I was making Yeah. and, um, kind of saw me as the underdog, you know, and thought that was cool. And well, it's nice having someone in your corner. Yeah, like everyone else, not everyone else, but a lot of the students there were, I was the one of the youngest people there, and I came from the Midwest, and I didn't, wasn't showing up Bordelami already, and you know, so. Was, I, that, a, was that a thing you were discriminated against because you're from the Midwest? I don't know. I don't think so, but they're just being like, I, I'm, I mean, I'm projecting like the social elitism of the Northeast, you know what I mean? Right, right. And, um. But she was the, she was she was the best, and she really took me under her wing. And like, and when I even when I had, she kept we've kept in touch. And like in my first solo show that I had in New York, soon after grad school, twenty four seven. She I had so many questions for her, or like for anyone willing to answer them about like representation and commission, like how much like how much would my work be, and like. 
she was just so present and like able to give it to me straightforward and like from her perspective and it really was so nice to have someone like that to talk to about those things yeah wendy's like so yeah she's she's very straightforward you know like yeah, she's no she's, bullshit. She's and a straight I, shooter. Yeah, I love that about her. And she's an incredible artist. And um, I really admire her and her attitude. And she's just so... Um, yeah. She's just really good at defending herself and the work she makes. And yeah, I think she's great. And I'm very yeah. lucky to have like had a semester with her. Did you also have Tom? Tom Naskowski came, he was still on faculty, but he was, like, retired or something, so we got, like, one studio visit with him. I see. And he was wonderful, but, like, you know, couldn't develop a relationship. But one cool person that came through often, like, I think, if I remember, like, once or twice a year, was Peter Sheldahl. Oh, yeah. And those... I look forward to those studio visits every time. He was the be- he was incredible. But like to have history in your studio was pretty Yeah, it's it's cool when you get that different angle, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like having someone like that like a writer, or, you know, like someone like that who brings a different approach to it is it kind of makes you see the work in a different way. And it's nice because usually that doesn't come until you start like showing and then someone writes something about the work and you're like, Oh, that's what you think. You know, like it comes out of the blue. It's nice to actually have that conversation with someone. Yeah. And I, it's absolutely true. And I remember the last studios I had with him, my pants ripped <laughs> and I'll never forget that <laughs> moment where like I was wearing these like silk pants from H and M that were super cheap and like, but cool. And we're just talking, getting into it. And I, like, spread my legs to, like, put my hand down, you know, slouching on the chair. You just and, like, hear the noise. they just rip at the crotch. And, like, the rest of the time, I, like, I have to sit there, like, trying to cross my legs. Yeah. Like, because, like, I just got, like, my underwears, like, totally exposed during the studio visit. It was Wow, what most, timing. It was the most embarrassing thing that it's ever happened. Because, of course, he's just, like, flustered, you know, like. Yeah. Like. My underwear, like, I, it just was a tear. It was so intense and hilarious, and I'll never forget that moment. I, Again, another great thing to be able to tell the kids. Exactly, exactly. You know, Capone, Sheldahl, maybe there's a couple other before we get through it. <laughs> yeah, you just wait. So I think like, you're on the edge of your seat. <laughs> you probably should have, for that critique, you probably should have just had a pajama day. Yeah, I think I so. Mean, you're right. Safer. I should have just stayed in my pajamas. Cotton stretches you know yeah yeah so it's not so fragile exactly (laughs) exactly i'm trying to think if i had for some reason that triggered me to think did i have any like really embarrassing studio visits of any like doing really dumb things i can't not that that was dumb i'm just saying i would picture myself i'm sure i did some really stupid things or said stupid things and critique i used to have a tape monster so it was like like i would use tape to paint and then I would create this like giant human like form out of the tape ball that would oh yes I see like, I see compress I see tape. yeah of course and of then course. I, all the people who would come in my studio would 
comment about like oh maybe you should show your tape ball and it was really irritating because oh, it was yeah. just i didn't feel like walking like all the way to the other side of the building to throw it in the garbage every time i picked the tape off my painting so what i did was i put it behind my studio door this is in grad school so anytime a teacher would come in i would just say come in you know they they would try to come in and when they would push the door open it would hit the tape ball behind the door and kind of bounce the door back and hit them and it was like it was comedy every time <laughs> and then yeah. they would peek and look around and be like oh my god because it was a huge mountain of tape that, that yeah. i pruned into the shape of a human oh my god i love this yeah that's something you learn in grad school right is like don't leave anything in your studio that you don't want people to talk about that is see you just dropped an advice bomb on people that is so valuable and no one tells you that stuff no you gotta learn trial by fire but if you don't want people to and and especially in crits oh yeah no get it all I've away had so many students ask me like oh, I did this. Like, it's like the last painting they did right before the crits and it's like totally different. It's small. Like, oh, I did this one and should I hang it? I'm like, if you're asking the question, don't do it because all they're going to talk about is that new one that you're not even sold on yet. Yes, exactly. You're going to talk about the whole semester's worth of work. Yeah. I know. Wendy was like very much like, so adamant, like don't clean your studio before like our crits. And I was like, yeah, right. <laughs> no way! Everything out there she, to talk about? because she loves talking about like influence and like you know impressionability and like how like what you're interested in and how it's feeding the work and so like what you surround yourself by and really wants to get into like and that's really I think that's a really good thing for like a studio visit or for her yeah yeah like with with her with her <laughs> yeah but like when you have like everyone then you're gonna get that asshole who's just like. So I see that you have those um, patterned socks there. And you're like, fuck. Right, right, fuck. right. Like, so we're going to talk about the socks? Is yeah, the work yeah. that more <laughs> interesting to you? Like, I just want to talk. Like, It's so true. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think that's a valuable piece of advice you gave. Oh, everyone. good. I'm glad. I hope If you don't want people to talk about the stuff, don't leave it. Don't hang it. You know? Yeah. I mean, I thought a lot about that, too, when I moved to New York because I had a live workspace and it wasn't really a live workspace. It was a pre-war apartment. And so I had this like giant living room, which it was the best apartment. I just got rid of it this year. Oh, my gosh. I loved it. And it was in Prospect Lefferts Gardens. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to live alone and get a one bedroom and it's going to cost the same as having roommates in a studio. But I get it all to myself. That's Sounds yeah. really nice. You probably took the B forty eight to get there, right? Yeah, and I'll yeah, I, I or the B and the Q train, the two and the five, all nearby. It was a wonderful spot. But I remember when I first moved in, I was like, okay, I'm out of grad school. I want to make. I'm gonna have. Got to prioritize the studio. I got a job at a gallery, and I'm just like, okay, this is what I'm, how I'm gonna do it. I'm I have to work full time, so I gotta live where I work, so I don't have the, I cut out the commute. And right. um, I'm not gonna get internet so that I don't feel distracted. And it's I didn't a bold have, move. Yeah, I didn't have internet <laughs> for four years in my apartment. I did, I'm sure you're productive. I was. I did all my computer work at my gallery job, applying to residencies, yeah. you know. See, double productive. Yeah, exactly. And your eyes probably thank you. You had four years off of what you could have been. <laughs> Yeah, my phone, I would like run out of data and be like, cool, I'm not doing anything on my phone now. Like, 
you know, I'd run out of yeah. data in like a day. And so I, yeah, I was really, yeah, just invested in the studio as soon as I left grad school. And, um, uh, yeah, so I, I did that, but I set up my place. And I thought a lot about what we just talked about in terms of like people seeing your work through your surroundings. And so I was like, well, if I'm going to have studio visits, people are going to come into my house. That's what's going to happen. And I was like, do I have the, the, the studio living room area had really nice light, which would be a good bedroom. So I was like, do yeah. I, and I would be able to close the door on the studio if I made the bedroom, the studio. And yeah, so I decided, no, the studio has to be the first thing people see. And then my bedroom can be where the door is closed. Cause I don't want anyone commenting on my anthropology quilt. In response to my work, because right. my mom got me that for my birthday, and it's so cozy, and I've had it for a decade, and it's not what my work's about. Yeah, your bed sheets shouldn't enter into the critique. <laughs> exactly. Right? So no one needed to walk through my bedroom to see my work, and I and I had that place for eight years, seven years. Wow. Yeah. And it was amazing, but yeah, I remembered just from grad school, like, nope, gonna just keep it neutral. And, um, I worked there nonstop. Like I would, I would get home from work with some, my like psychotic boss traumatizing me for the day. And then at the gallery. Yeah. Oh, you know, or, like New York gallery. Jobs. Are we going to talk about this? Oh, I don't, in, you don't have to get into it, but. Oh no, not the names. And, oh yeah. But was it, do you want to drop any advice bombs on people uh, about oh, working for galleries? I oh, never worked for a gallery. Oh, I don't know. I just. Don't well, do it. I think, no, I think you do what you can do. Like, I it think teaches you about the reality, right? The reality, I worked at a gallery that was like a photorealism gallery. So I, um, wow, for you like just four outed them because there's probably two and <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> You're right. They're, they're no longer around, but like, um, they, um, like it was like hard. I was just like a young artist and I knew that I got the job before I even graduated, um, graduate school on uh, Grudkers I I was like I just I had one class a week my last semester and I finished my thesis and I'm like I want to move to New York make some money I I got I'm gonna do it so I started and I felt like I had a one-up because like I feel like everyone's applying for jobs in May but this is like February you got the head start I did so I got the job and it was like paying me okay so I yeah I went and I felt so great. I was, it was like very challenging, you know, to balance a very demanding boss who is like, you know, like somewhat receptive to you being an artist and then not so much and like expecting a lot out of you. And this was before a lot of the sort of like, you know, social structures we have today that like would make yeah. a lot of the things I went through probably very inappropriate and right. it's small. It's like when you work at a gallery, it's like you're working for like a small family business. Really? That's what you're doing. Yeah, definitely. And it's like, so it was really intense and, but I really got a thick skin from it and I um, would go home every night and work in the studio. That's what I did. And you learned what not to look for in a gallery. Yeah, or, you know, I also learned a lot about how to organize my work, how to archive things, how to make websites, like how to, 
the whole I learned Nuts a lot. Nuts and bolts, that stuff. Yeah, like in in doing these things for other artists, I could do them well for myself now. Yeah. And I that was excellent. And so I I learned a lot and was and I would remember like locking my phone in my mailbox when I got home, so I would just literally have nothing. That's great discipline. Yeah, and just like this is the time. I'm going to be in the studio. And it was amazing. That was when I was free. Yeah. And and also, you know, I don't come from like I come from like a middle class family. Like I never had financial support and I always had to take care of myself. So if I was going to live in New York, I had to have a job. And there was like a lot of um I had a pretty pretty good job, you know, and so there, even though the job was like stressful, I was able to support myself and um, have the freedom of the studio be a part of my life, which was and huge. Mo- and Mondays off. And Mondays off. Not only Mondays off. This is what really kept me there, is that it was Free donuts? Su- it was super no. old school. So we yeah. had all of August off. Oh, nice. The- yeah, that's a that's the thing. That's a gig, you know. Like yeah, I so, teach and having yeah. the summers off, it's just such an amazing thing. Absolutely. And I was able to like really do, I did a residency every summer I worked there. I did Yado, I did Vermont Studio Center. I just like, I made sure that every August I was gone. Yeah, that's smart. And it worked. And did your work progress? Like, you know, how was your... What was, I mean, it sounded like you had a good studio space too. So yeah. you could make work, like that wasn't an impediment, you know, like space. So, um, you know, how did your work change from like what you were doing in grad school to like those years of like working and finding your way in the city? Yeah, that's a great question. So like when I was in grad school, I was making a lot of geometric abstract paintings because that was kind of the jam at Rutgers. Yeah, you know, that that's like, the, that was like, the scene and we had Stephen Westfall, you know, that's like what we're, what we're doing there. And like, um, but I felt like, Oh, everyone's making these really beautiful geometric abstract paintings, but I want to be a little different because I, I was kind of like the conversations we were having felt like they were repeating from studio, like crit to crit. Right. And I'm like, okay, so I'm going to start using fabric and I started incorporating fabric and trying to figure out how to make installation with them. And I was someone in grad school who I felt like they have been really irritating to teach because a lot of people had their thing and they were just refining it. And I was just like going through, shedding so many ideas. Like I was like really working through it. I was like, I, I want to just keep trying things until it feels right. That's the goal, though, right? I think Exercise so. Exercise the demons, you know, get it out. I mean, that's when you're supposed to do it. I felt so, and it felt, it was really hard and challenging, but I did it, and, like, my my thesis show was, like, these fabric, I like I called them fabric paintings, where I just draped fabric over canvas, and, like, some I glued some of it. It looked kind of, like, imagine if you were able to throw, like, a ton of, a, wad of fabric and it like caught like velcro onto a canvas or whatever and so 
they were cool. I mean, they, that was like a turning point for me. I was like, oh, this is fun. And, um, but then, yeah, when I moved to the city, I was still trying to figure out how to use fabric. And I went to this fabric, I forgot what it's called. It was so epic. This place in Pennsylvania or in uh, Philadelphia. Fabric workshop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just, um, I got some fabric, but then I really loved the like water stained gross fabric and using that. And they had some pot, you know, furniture cushion on sale. And I was like, oh, I should buy some of this and see what it will happen. And that's kind of where it all started because that was the genesis. Yeah, I I was like, well, how do I work with this material? And I kind of want to paint on top of it. I don't know. So I decided to go to Home Depot and get insulation board because I had lived in my workspace and I did not want to use wood because that would just be everywhere. And this is like, yeah, Yeah. lightweight and I can strap it onto my Honda Accord and like whatever. And um, I start cutting it up and I like the first painting I make was like a rhombus shape. And it was covered, like stretched in canvas with the, the furniture cushion on it. And then I like spray painted it. I didn't know what I, I didn't know what to do. I was just like, it's not a rectangle. That's cool. It's like a different kind of rectangle, an abnormal rectangle. And then I was like, well, this isn't working. This looks like shit. And so I like do it again, but I chop it up into five sections and then I stretch it. And then I have some fabric. And then I'm like, oh, but I could paint parts of it and then it just sort of like evolved where like it was so it really was like this really beautiful like natural transition where I was like interested in painting I was interested in fabric and I was interested in making something that felt not like a normal painting yeah and and then did it click like after a while yeah I just after like the the third one, it was like, oh, I can get into this. And then I started making these drawings that were very geometric that I would scale up and then replicate and then stretch canvas and, and fabric. Then I was like, well, I'm running out of fabric that I like, so I'm going to start making my own fabric and spoon flower and then matching the colors to the fabric and then that was like my show at 24 7 was they jesse greenberg and mcgregor like they show up they asked to do a studio visit after i like facebook mess i facebook from them a long time ago and then they were like i posted my website like super old school like Websites updated, and this is like 2006. I don't remember what year this was. I don't know. Oh, the old website days. Yeah, like I was still posting on Instagram before it was a cool thing to do. And then I like to think. And then, but I don't remember what year it was, but Jesse was just like, d- emailed me and was like, Can I do a studio visit? And I'm like, Oh my God! Like, I just like lost my shit. I was just like, A gallery wants to do a studio visit? Like, I really. <laughs> What a it's beautiful, exciting. It's so exciting. I, and the thing is, like, I was so, like, in the zone. Like, I was not making work to be shown. I had never had a show. I was just in, I was enjoying being in the studio, like, and just making the work and figuring it out and, like, being, 
I had no, I had no agenda and no goal. And so when I got this email, I was just like, whoa, oh my God, this is so exciting. And they show up and I like have a, a show ready to go. Like now that I think about it, I'm like, and I know friends like own galleries and like want to like um, show artists that haven't been seen before. I'm like, they probably felt like they were hitting the jackpot because they're like, my room, my studio is just full of these cool paints. I felt like they were really cool and like unusual and different and like what a score for them, you know? And, yeah. and for me too. And we like hit it off and we did my, they brought my work to Miami and I'm like, this is so cool. And they're like, you want to do a solo show? And I'm like, in a few months. And I was like, yes. <laughs> Duh. Of <course>. and, <laughs> and so that was like, I felt so fortunate. Like I was out of grad school for, I think like less than a year when that happened. And wow. Like what, what, what a privileged position to be in. Like I just, they believed in me and my work and took a chance and like everything else kind of has come from that, that moment. Yeah. It's like a big open door. I literally just because I posted on Facebook, like, hey, check out my, my new website. <laughs> See, it's another advice bomb for everyone. It's just like, you got to put yourself out there. You yeah. You never know what's going to happen. Like, it, the right people see it and it can just work out, you know? And do, an, do it honestly and earnestly. Like, do it without any expectation, you know, because you just don't know. Like, and also, in, just say yes to any studio visit. You never know, like, who's going to start following your work from someone put it, posting something in your, their stories. And like, yeah, it's just, it's the inner, I have felt like I am so lucky to be an artist in the time of social media, because I feel like that is like an ex excellent example of like how you're able to be sort of passively self, like, um, what's the word? promoting promoting right like you just want to share things with the world and you can yeah and it's like a a bigger audience I don't, I don't know for those who are a little older i think we it's like a different kind of relationship it, there is a blessing to that and it's like yeah you can expose the work so easily to so many people but then at the same time there's so many people yeah there's so it's kind of like the music thing like nowadays you anyone can put their music up on the internet and people can hear it and you might get you know a following and people just join and in the same light it's like there's so much stuff out there that how do you even sift through it yeah i feel like that it's so true and like this was a while ago like 2015 mm-hmm which seems like ages ago in terms of like, that's just when Instagram was like becoming was more. Was it really? Yeah. Oh like maybe a little bit. Well, it was, I think like 2013, it was like that or Hipstamatic. And then Hipstamatic. you're, but you remember that, but then like you're like posting on Instagram, but it's like, you're like, you know, poached egg or right. something. Like it wasn't about like posting what you were making or doing. Yeah. And all the pictures were like, um, burnished around the edges like, yeah, in, like, like an this, old polaroid yeah like exactly and so that seemed to change very quickly um and i felt like i got it at the right time but um yeah it's it's like and it like it i think right now i think a lot about it in terms of being able to live upstate yeah 
because I'm very fortunate to have like gallery representation. So I like at Hollis Taggart. So I have like support in like a home base in New York that like has my work. Right. And that in combination with like being able to be up here, it's like, oh, like I don't like a lot of times now when people are like, oh, like we want to do like show your work in this group show. Whereas like in New York, if I lived in New York, they'd be like, we'd love to come by for a visit and pick something out. Now it's just like, hey, we've seen your work. Um, can we just, can you send us some images? <laughs> and like, yeah. the, like suddenly I don't have to do that studio visit, which I do miss that stuff. But it's nice to also just like be able to send the work or like yeah. people like seeing my work in New York and shows or whatever. And then. I can just do my own thing here and prance around and have space. And, um, but that I don't think was possible before because like that you needed the connection physically more and COVID even made it even more apparent that like, Oh yeah. Definitely. Oh, I hate talking. Everyone about, was off yeah. the grid of, of reality in a way. Yeah, Everyone so was it's just like, in that virtual space. And now it's like, it's just so like, here we are like, you know, we're not doing this, IRL because it's just it's easy to do this now and um there is something to be said for like that human connection and like of being in person but like it's still I feel like what it's allowing is artists to not be tied down to like the financial and physical constraints of New York City yeah that like you could have the artists that are like living in you know Milwaukee that are making really good work and doing their thing and they can participate in a way that maybe they weren't able to before you just made another person's day because like shout out to the milwaukee artists out there listening <laughs> yeah They're right like, finally we get some air time <laughs> <laughs> yeah no but it's true it's like it is it is true it, and like or these teach and like you also get people who like can get like have these teaching jobs that are incredible educators living in places that are not connected to New York, you know, as connected and they're able to make work and share it and people like they can have probably more opportunities too. And yeah, it's just, and the rent is sustainable. It's a kind of like dating. Boy, it's been a while. Uh, It's like (laughs) dating where like, you don't have to go to the bar or the club to meet someone. Like you could just do it online. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I guess, yeah, there's something fun about going out and having a night on the town or whatever, but there's also something really refreshing about the, like, you're not forced into that hypothetically if you're trying to meet someone. No, no, not at all. And it's really just becomes about the work then. Right. You're not sitting there having the studio visit like, well, who do you know? Or like, where you know, right. like, it's just like, oh, I really love this person's work. And like then it just it focuses really on that and um and there's also just so many incredible artists that live up here now yeah. and have forever i mean that's just that's the history of the hudson valley <laughs> like right well you're in a spot that's you know storied like there's yeah. tons of it's not like it's probably more of a challenge to move to you know like 20 miles outside of Des Moines or something. Oh, I you know bet. What I mean? Oh, for sure. Because you'd feel yeah, you're isolated and historically isolated and all of those things. And it's also 
yeah, it's, it's, but I feel really, I don't know. I think that the internet is pretty cool. (laughs) It is. I mean, it's, we're on it right now. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's funny. It's the same thing about the podcast too. Like used to always do them in person and now I basically am doing most of them over the internet and there is something you do lose by being there in person, you know, cause there's a little like kind of just, just a chemistry of being around someone like in a space. But you know, this is like, there's a lot of, like I wasn't flying to, you know, Nigeria to do a podcast. No, but, but now, now I can do that. You can yeah. do it. Exactly. It's pretty wild. and That's not a dig on Nigeria. I'm just saying COVID, you know, it's like hard to travel right now. Yeah, exactly. Also, I'm sure you would love to like, that's a great write-off. Be like, yeah, this trip to Nigeria, like, I'll, that, exactly. Yeah, I was hoping for, uh, uh, you know, actually, uh, it's a joke. I wasn't, I'm not hoping for anything out of this podcast, but other than just being able to talk to great people, but like yeah like speaking gigs or going off and like interviewing people live and stuff that would be kind of fun oh my god yeah like what is it like wait wait don't tell me like i imagine you could do something like that with artists like a whole crowd right yeah you should get in touch with npr oh yeah they don't really have anything (laughs) art related like this good i'm saying i'm here (laughs) exactly (laughs) (laughs) no but i think yeah art is underrepresented and things like that you know what i mean it could be it doesn't have to be like i hadn't thought about that till now but like how wonderful would it be to have sound and vision show up on a sunday afternoon while you're on wnyc right yeah like, well my my friend does a, a podcast called song exploder and then it's now it's a netflix show and it's it's whoa. really cool because it's so well done in the audio format you know but it's really cool to see alicia keys in the studio kind of like doing it you know yeah both sides of it is nice so but yeah you wouldn't you just love to see like an artist in the studio like but it's not that's the thing when it comes to like art stuff it's always done in this really like cheesy way cheesy like stuffy lame way you know because it's usually the powers that be are making the decisions are like no let's do like a studio it's like no just go to someone's studio and like BS, you know what I mean? Like, or just like put, literally put a secret camera on because that's what you want. You want to see someone dancing to Jamie XX like randomly. Uh, that's <laughs> right. And, and ripping their crotch while talking to Peter Sheldahl. Exactly. That's the, kind that's the of content. content. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, but that's a great idea. I mean, you know. There's pitches to be pitched, I think, is what we're saying. Yeah, I'm thinking we're on to something with like a new reality TV show. Uh, oh the boy. hidden camera of the, st- the artist In the studio. Art star <laughs> studio. That's actually going to be... <laughs> oof, that's going to be brutal. I mean, we've, we're both artists. We've been there at like hour five in the studio. Thinking yeah. about that being aired on primetime <laughs> is like <laughs> brutal. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. There's a, there's a lot of like butt scratching and staring at the wall and like looking at your phone and being like, all right. Yeah, they're like, wow, yet? she's really on her phone a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know that's what you know artists do. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Sometimes I'm, I'm like still really weird about my phone in the studio. I like will shut it off and I'll put it upstairs. Yeah, I put mine away. Yeah, yeah. like, and I'm like think about it and like. I wonder if my brother texted me back. And I'm like, it can wait. 
Yeah. Just be and then it pulls present. Out. You're like a magnet. You're like, why are you in my brain right now? I'm supposed to be concentrating. <laughs> yeah. Like, I just want to get... Also, like, I'm covered in paint. My, my phone is just, like, completely covered in oh, paint. Oh, it's lathered. Oh. Yeah. It's just wow, completely... And in the best way. But, um... Because I'm... That's just... You can... That's, that's total proof that I, um... I definitely work in the studio with my phone sometimes. And well, we, like, yeah. And we have been conditioned... Um, sort of unconsciously that uh, to not be bored like as soon as there's a moment where there's nothing doing we just pick it up yeah you know oh, and it's I so guess true. we we did that with you know oh well I'll go eat something in the fridge or I'll, I'll turn on the TV but yeah then watch. you go on Instagram and they're showing you some cheesy pasta and then you're like oh I was trying to eat healthy but they know I'm thinking about cheesy pasta so sinister it's so lame it's all for money. It really is. Everything in our society just revolves around money. It's so true. But I, um, I, I, for me, my distraction, at least when it's nice out, or like not winter, basically every other season. <laughs> I love winter. Don't get me right. wrong. I do things in the winter happily. I go hiking. I, got, I put my crampons on my Snowmobiles. boots. Oh, I, Exactly. I love, I mean, I haven't done a motorized like winter sport in a long time, but I'm down. It's just, I don't have a snowmobile anymore, but, um, I would if I did, um, I go into the garden. Like, that's what I do when I'm like in the studio and I'm like, oh, this isn't working or I'm like, need a break or I'm bored. Cause we all get bored in the studio. That's like, that's like, true i hope how for dare everyone. you expose that secret <laughs> but <laughs> like you're just like i'm like in you go i go to the garden and i just putsy around and i i don't know pick some yeah. bugs off I'd, the plants and plant some radishes i don't know it's like you have to occupy a different state in your mind like basically almost every day of my life i'm at the soccer field for a little bit and yeah. i feel like that's where i go to just step away from you know the studio yeah, you got it. All right, like I have a bike and I like um sometimes I'll just go like for a burst. I live in a very hilly area, so my bike ain't going that far, but um I'll just go out for a burst and come back. <laughs> just go up a hill, really steep hill, get to close to the top and then just coast back. Exactly. Down. <laughs> and it it's gets like a roller my, coaster. My heart rate up and I run most I used to run a lot more. I this summer I like had this big show that happened this year. And it was sort of like uh, pushed closer than what I thought it was going to be. Usually shows are pushed farther. And so I just basically stopped doing all self-care. And <laughs> Isn't it funny how we can turn that as much as we all maybe all of us who do care about our physical well-being. Like when it comes to making art, you could just flip the switch and be like, I'm just going to drink coffee, not sleep and work and work and work and work. Yeah. Exactly. And drive your, you feel yourself like, oh, I'm going to get sick at some point here. Oh, there's definitely a sick. There's definitely an illness. I I can't believe I didn't get sick this time. Normally I get, like there's always a a drop, but I feel partially that's because I'm still wearing a mask all the time. So whatever. I mean, it's remarkable. It actually kind of works. Yeah. Like I'm like, I was on the subway before and like, like whatever I was getting sick from I was like I'm not exposed to any of that so I may have still felt the post-project depression real real strongly but at least I didn't get sick I think it 
you know, if you think about it, unless you're really vigilant, I mean, back in the day, like, you know, you work really hard in a studio, it's late or something, you get on the subway and you go home and on the, as you're walking to your place, you like rub your eye or something. There you go. You're sick. Yeah. You just had your hand on where four million, unless you pure, but now ever since COVID, everyone's so, well, not everyone, but people who care yeah. are like conditioned to be like, oh, well, I'm just going to be more mindful of that. And I feel like there's probably a lot less people getting sick. Yeah. And I also like, my. it's like so embarrassing, but I love like picking at my nails and like, just like kind of like the nervous yeah, tick. Yeah, the tick. Of, yeah, yeah. People and that, when know? I when I'm on the subway, I'm doing that or like traveling. And now my hands can't go in my mouth. I look like, and sometimes I even think like, should I just, can I sneak it under my? You mouth? Try, like, you, yeah, you're, you're like, like that's maybe ridiculous. Like, first. like no, just like let your hand, let your like nails grow, let your skin be not cracked, just like. But that's probably why I didn't get sick. Yours isn't that bad. My nervous tick is uh is licking the handrail at a subway station. Oh, I don't wow. know why I want to do it, but it just—you just must have an incredible <laughs> biome and uh, inc- you know. I just kind of made myself sick making that joke. Yeah. Oh my god, <laughs> I, I love got it. Got goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a germaphobe, but I think I'm leaning. I, I lean more that way these days than I ever did. Yeah, I, I can, you know, I want to say I, I'm the way the same, but I don't. I, I feel like such an asshole saying this but it's just the truth my honest my i'm i feel like during covid i felt like i was in this weird fantasy bubble being up here like the world was burning around me but like i felt i live in a church you know and i felt like so safe being here like you I were was, i was yeah, I mean, so you deserve that. that's what yeah. you deserve for you know for the other times when you felt like you were isolated or kind of off the grid or whatever, because everyone or not everyone, you know what I mean? Everyone here in the city, like myself, who was stuck in an apartment and we don't even have a yard. I mean, that's paradise. We were like fantasizing about an upstate house. I mean, that's what I, and that's what I did. Like, I mean, it wasn't like I was here alone. Like during COVID, I had a constant flow of long-term guests. Like, I had friends with a kid come up here for a month and a half. You kept I, them outside your window? You just like wait No, we them. would just like do the quarantine. <laughs> we would get tested and then they would show up and they would live me like people. I just had for two years like friends living with me. It was like a uh, a social friendship Airbnb for like. Connecting. An artist residency too. Like, you know, like people like all my friends pretty much are artists. So like I'm like, cool, bring your stuff. I'll share my studio. Let's like be, let's cook for each other. Let's be like, let's support each other. And like, because I felt like, again, like I felt so lucky to have the space and fortunate. And like, I got it at the right time way, way before COVID. And now like everyone's uh, like, quit bragging. You know, Thanks for the invite. <laughs> hey, you can come anytime. Bring the whole fam. And like, but you know, everyone's just trying to like, and I feel like, oh no, like you, should be here with me and so I had one friend that stayed for three months you know oh we just I got we cooked every single night I've never eaten so well you know it sounds so fun it was it's really great I mean you know that's kind of what I think a lot of residencies are like that too it's people have this space and they're like hey let's create something where people can come visit us 
and you know we could have that social side of it yeah and like like the joy of any grandparent it's like after you get sick of them you kick their ass out it's like see <laughs> yeah. you later it was nice it, having you here exactly you're like okay so <laughs> this person really wants to come and we had a quarantine so like you this is the timing and no one ever overextended their stay like i and i i felt so fortunate too because these are all my friend, like close friends and these are some deep hangs yeah. you know it, when you're like in the day-to-day living in the city and you're like i'm gonna go get a drink and dinner with a friend or we'll go to an, an opening i spent hours and days and at times months with these people that are now just like we're always felt like my chosen fam but now right. are like extremely my chosen fam yeah there's okay. a lot of pajama days um <laughs> so much pajama <laughs> Like, I didn't. I haven't. I haven't gotten to ask you much about music. Although we do know Pearl Jam lives in there from way back. Oh my god! I'm so excited. When people are, like, I was like telling some friends about like I'm so excited. I'm gonna be like like interviewed on Sound and Vision. It's my favorite art podcast, and then or really one of my favorite podcasts ever. And then they're like, "What are you gonna say about music?" Because I'm you know he's gonna ask. So I've been thinking a lot about it. Okay. Unfortunately, we're out of time. <laughs> <laughs> Can no. you imagine? Oh my god! All right, no. that's a wrap. I don't even it's have anything that exciting to. to say. It's not even that exciting. Well, what do you? Know. What growing up? Did you play any instruments? No, I was not musically inclined. No music in the house. There had to be Italian family. Well, partially Italian. I don't know. My mom's a metalhead. She's pretty badass. She's like, she's got. She loved Slayer and Rob Zombie and like. Really, um, Slayer. Metallica. Oh, that's, that's deep uh, cut. Pantera. Pantera. She loved. Yeah. Death, wait, what is it? Megadeth. Oh, like, does she like the dark arts? Or is that <laughs> a band? I don't know what that oh, is. Oh, no, that's just a joke about, I oh. mean, was she like kind of gothy? Yeah, I mean, weirdly, like, super, super beautiful suburban mom and like. A like, headbanger. But a headbanger. And like, like, it's just cool. Like, and she, I guess she like was pregnant with me. She didn't realize and she caught the pick of like someone from Slayers, like the guitarist. Like she like, Whoa. you know, like found out the next day she was pregnant with oh, me. Oh, she caught the pick. Yeah. Like, I thought you said cut the pig. <laughs> oh, no, she <laughs> cut like, that thing. some sort of like crazy <laughs> seance that Slayer no, Yeah, probably. Yeah. Ooh, <laughs> That's so that got funny. dark for a Yeah. No, but she's so, yeah, she's got this tattoo of herself as like, we're, she, her name's Sabrina and she has a tattoo of herself as Sabrina, like the teenage witch, um, with a pumpkin that's bleeding, like that's oh decapitated God. with a like a butcher knife bleeding on the other end, and like really, yeah, she's incredible. She's incredible. Like I'm couldn't be more different than her, and like that's amazing. I'm in high school listening to like you know Soup John Stevens, and my mom's like, "What a little Rob Zombie concert," and I was like, "No, oh I'm my cool." Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> she probably grew up, like, she probably spent time watching Headbangers Ball and, like, Oh, yeah. Ricky on Rathman MTV. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. She's cool. My mom's amazing. That's pretty cool. So, yeah. metal. And then you were in a, you went a slightly artier route with your music tastes? Yeah. I was, I, yeah, I love, in high school, like, loved, like, yeah, like, indie rock. I never, I always was like, if it's on the radio, I don't want to listen to it. Now, indie rock means something to me, generationally and 
but what is it to you? Like, what are we talking about with indie rock? Yeah, I guess. Okay, so I guess if I'm in high school, indie rock is like, what else? The Postal Service. Postal Service. I yeah. knew you were going to say Postal yeah. Service. Damn Did it. you listen to that Song Exploder episode? That was one of the first ones. No. It's pretty good. I, oh, I should. Th- they're amazing. And like, obviously Death Cab because they're like the same band. And right, then right. like. Uh, do you kn- Now, someone who knows them, do you know Built to Spill? Oh, yeah. Okay. But I didn't, I didn't know like, I didn't like, know, that's interesting because I didn't learn about Built to Spill until later, but, and, but I loved, like, what else did I listen to, like, later in high school, like, uh, Broken Social Scene, and. Well, you're near Chicago, was it, like, Promise Ring? Did you like that stuff? Oh, yeah, loved okay. Promise Ring. They came a little bit later, and then, who else? Yeah, I would, and it was something I did in college was, like, I loved going to, like, Pitchfork and Lollapalooza, sure. but I didn't want to pay, so I'd volunteer. Yeah, and so I'd always try to get the early shifts, so I would just disappear. <laughs> and then, and then like, but then you know, then I'm like, I feel guilty, so then I'm like, all right, all right, I'll work the barbecue for an hour, you know, like yeah, yeah. it was such. I just was like, this is ridiculous. Who would ever spend like three hundred dollars a day? Um, but now, I'm like, oh. It's important for the artist to get paid. <laughs> yes, that's um, well, and like yeah, actually, music festivals are a huge moneymaker for like under like underrepresented musicians. But yes, I was broke, and so but I got to see a bunch of amazing. I got to see TV on the radio and like Modest Mouse and Robin when she came back on the scene, and just like it was endless. It was like so cool to be able to i loved going like pitchfork in chicago in like 2013 was cool like yeah, there was, weren't a lot of people around it was very small yeah Beirut but it's playing. like peak energy i feel like yeah yeah well, chicago got really well like in the days of music because i had friends who were bands in chicago and when my band that i used to be in recorded at Steve Albini's studio, Electrical Audio in Chicago, and there was a real, this is like early 2000s, I mean, mm-hmm. it was a, it was jumping, as far as like, yeah. you know, the energy of that scene, between, you know, all the Chicago kind of post-rock, indie rock stuff, and then you had like Fallout Boy and all that stuff coming from Chicago, I mean, a lot of, a lot of energy. Yeah, definitely, and it felt like I was like, a part of it somehow, I love, I yeah, and then, when I went to U of I, like, I was still at U of I, but, like, we had, like, the Pygmalion Music Festival there, which is a really cool, like, indie rock music festival, and there were a bunch of cool small venues where bands that would be going from Chicago to St. Louis would play these, like, I remember I saw the National ones, like, this is, like, I used to love the National, like, when I was, like, 22, they were my jam, and, like, I saw them in a venue with 50 people. Wow. That's cool. That's like, an early an early look, right? Yeah, and then they like jam into Alligator. I learned about them through like Ridley because he played Alligator when we were in Cortona. And I was like, this is amazing! <laughs> you know, like I've never heard music like this before. And um, yeah, like what a cool thing to be able to see a band like that in such an intimate setting and to like Definitely. be able to like touch everyone. Everyone's like, touching them they're like playing in the middle of the crowd and it's so intimate and i love going to shows and i love i love going to shows i miss that so much 
I think New York sucks for seeing shows. I think, like, overall, like, people that, like, whenever I go to shows in New York, people don't participate. Like, the audience is so... Over, like, there's some people that are like like I'm like losing my shit I know like every song and I'm like belting out the lyrics and then you know uh, you everyone's just like very serious and stoic like yeah listening. looking at you like who's this try hard what are you yeah, flexing like, like all that energy that's, <laughs> I, if I were a musician I would be really bummed to play New York um, well I could I could tell you I mean our band was very indie but, yeah. you know, we did U.S. tours, and the best shows were never in the, well, most of the time weren't in the big cities. You know, yeah. they'd be like St. Louis or New Orleans or, totally. not that that's not a big city, but you know what I mean. It's not New York or L.A. Yeah, it's there's like, just something about, I don't know, like, I know everyone that's there is a fan. That's why you got yeah. the ticket. College shows would be, like, college town shows oh, yeah. would be great. Because the kids were like, hey, you're coming to see, a, you know, it, it was exciting for them yeah oh there's only that's why the one show i've ever seen in new york well broken social scene in new york was like awesome because i think they have like a really strong fan base of like their songs are such sing-along songs yeah but also more than anyone is like dan deacon where he's not gonna let you be passive in the audience like there it's a whole thrust his will upon i you know, I saw Flying Lotus in New York City, and it was really good. Oh, cool. I and, I, you know, you couldn't... It was such an experience, like a visual, crazy, sort of three-dimensional thing that you kind of couldn't hide from it. But yeah, generally speaking, I think seeing shows outside of, like, in the smaller towns is just, like, more Way cooler. Energy. Yeah. Yeah, even in Hudson, we have Basilica here, that music festival. And one year, I remember Lowe played, and they there was like you know Basilica's like very experimental, so they didn't play any hits or anything, and they played just long fifteen minute versions of their songs, and I was just like, this is epic, like this I would never a nice yeah never be able to get this anywhere else. Yeah, our our band played out in I think San Diego with uh and we saw uh, Godspeed You Black Emperor oh, which was a really cool and I didn't really know them and but that show kind of blew me away. I can't imagine. I love them and I remember listening to them so much at the beginning of the pandemic like that was my Oh really? The, yeah. Oh well that's I, really wallowing in it, right? <laughs> yeah, like I remember I was like on a trip with friends to Vermont like right at the beginning of when everything started shutting down. And we're like listening to NPR and it's like, we are so confused and scared about what's happening. And like, um, but then my friend's like, let's just put on black, you speed black ember. And it's just like, oh, suddenly like we're like driving through these rural areas and it's so desolate. I'm like, this feels like the end of the world. It is the (laughs) end of the world. (laughs) You know? Yeah. It's like that music just creates the perfect audio. Yeah. You know, scene of, of like what you're going through yeah that's kind of that's when music can be kind of magical you know it's so magical it's so it's so important like and it it's like for the mood for uh, emotion and like if i'm ever in a moment in the studio where i'm like feeling like 
low energy, I've got a playlist for that, how to cure yeah. that, you know, or if I'm feeling like I've had too much caffeine, I've just put on Bill Callahan, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we played a show with Smog. Oh my he God, really? A, oh my a, God, are yeah, you serious? He, yeah. He That's amazing. Real, He's my favorite. He's like. He had a presence for sure. And we played a show one time with Cat Power and she was equally like enigmatic, I think. Oh my God. Know? I've never seen, I, I, I'm waiting for something for Bill Callahan to go on one. Sh- to, I just want I've never seen him play live. And I think he's someone I came to later in my, like, a. I mean, recent, more like in the past five years, but I haven't seen him play. And that's on my list. So Bill Callahan, if you're listening, <laughs> <laughs> you should probably go on tour so I can see you. God, because I can't. It's, it must have been so... When I saw him, it must have been very early 2000s. At yeah. Carnegie Mellon University. In oh, Pittsburgh. my God. So good. Yeah, I mean, the show I just put, had at Hollis Taggart, people are like, your titles are so clever. And I'm like, they're all from Bill all Callahan songs. lyrics. Yeah. Like, got to grow down to grow up. Hello. That's a sycamore. Like, I don't know. Like, But, like, it's just, like, such a specific thing. Like, no one's... But I literally, like, listened to him pretty much nonstop in the studio. I, this, like, when I was making this show, like, I went through a pretty bummerific, that's not even a word, but I'm making it up, breakup this year, and at the beginning of the year, and then, like, I started making this show, and I just felt like I needed, like, the voice of, like, a male presence around me, and Bill Callahan was the ticket. I think that was a good choice. I mean, you could have went too far with like Elliot Smith or something like that. Yeah, it no. just would have been too dark. Totally. He was just like comforting and like, yeah. like I, I just, so that's what I, I like never, he, he, yeah, he kept me, he kept me company for months. It's a pretty good move. Yeah. Um, so it, when you're working in the studio, say like these days, is it still are you nothing but Bill Cal? I mean, no, 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 no. In your music? <laughs> yeah, no, I listen nothing to but Britney. No, oh, free Britney. She's free. Um, yeah. <laughs> Fine. Um, yeah. Um, she, no, I listen to, I have like a, I have so many playlists. Right now I have one that's called Groovy Grooves. Sometimes I have another one that says, hey, can you send me that song? You know, nice. when you're with friends and you're like, I just, hey, like what's that song? It's like a place yeah, to put those songs. It's really right, good. Right. And so, but I... Yeah, I listen to, I don't know, there's this band called Fog Lake. Do you know who they are? No, I don't, but they're it reminded awesome. me of Fog Hat. Yeah, no, they're amazing and super, like, uh, Cigarettes After Sex. Like, sometimes I just, like, that's another band, you know? Like, yeah. Just, like, if I'm going, like, really relaxing, chill vibes, I'll, like, listen to them. Or, like, I really love... Like, I think I brought this up earlier. Like, Jamie XX is, like... Oh, uh, that's good. Good stuff. Really good dance. Like, if I'm, like, need to get moving, that's what I'll put on. And um, the thing about Spotify that kind of sucks is that you start... Like, you'll, like, find a song you like and you'll add it to a playlist. And it you don't necessarily, like, explore that artist's as much you know you're not like going right. album by album yeah yeah it's just kind of like 
you're like that's a good song and then you shuffle, don't really it's like the shuffle occasion it's it's not like a deep dive it's more of like a variety than like depth yeah exactly so but that doesn't mean yeah, that that means i have a lot of songs by a lot of musicians that i only have one song that i really like <laughs> or two songs do you songs. like um do you like uh, Chet Faker and like Woodkid and people like that. I don't know who it, those people oh, are. This has got to go on the song. What's the playlist? Play yes. Can you send me? Hey, can you send me that song? Just remind <laughs> me when we're done to, okay. to send it over to. I you. love I love recommendations. Absolutely. But yeah, that uh, kind of like that enigmatic male singing voice. But then there's a little bit of electronic, but oh, but still nice. instrumentation mixed. Yeah. Yeah. Know, you may or may not. I could like be it. new it, and then sometimes I go really deep, where I'm just like, if I'm like really tired, if it's like three in the morning, and I'm like, I really gotta go a couple more hours. I'll start going back to like when I was a kid, and I'll like listen to you too. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> you know, like I'll just be like, in the name right, of right, the classics. Well, I'm it's just nostalgia, like, right? Yeah, it's I'm kind just of like, like triggers I, something in you. Yeah, you're just like I know all. How do I still remember all of these words? Like, how is that possible? Who's because stationed? back then I'm like, we didn't have that many things. We listened to it over and over again. No, like not the at Stone all. Roses was a band that like I knew every single note. Yeah, and, that's amazing. You know, it, it become when you're younger and you just have you. You know, we didn't have the variety. Well, I don't know when you know, when you were younger, how much music you had. But generally, it's not like today where it's just a gigantic no. shuffle playlist of It was the just world. like, I remember, I, I like my, my dad had a CD club. And so um, we would get the little stamps and I would, he'd be like, all right, I, I, choose I, the ones. I picked out what I can. And, you know, it's a Columbia Records or whatever. And like, they're only giving you the stuff that's like not that popular anymore. The scraps. So, yeah, so like I'm, <laughs> going through and I'm like I remember seeing like the Empire Records soundtrack and I'm like that looks cool and then I like loved that like it had a the CD was yellow and I would just go through like you know there was a lot of you know new new wave and um but it was just I was just really picking albums off of aesthetics yeah and it's the way yeah, we used the, to do it. I was like, The Cure. Oh, that's a weird album cover. Like, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me. Like, I'm in third grade. I'm like, there's a bug on this cover. Cool. Let's do it. And it was all red, right? That yeah. One, that or one pink. Was, yeah. It was cool. And I, you know, I that's something I'll jam out to in the studio. Just thinking about yelling into a hairbrush. <laughs> I have an idea. <laughs> What's in that? A playlist where all the records have nothing but pink and red album covers oh that would look really good i love that idea so that one could be on there my bloody valentine would be a good one. Oh yeah definitely what else um acetone do you know acetone mm -hmm. that band and aerial pink however they they're not cool anymore unfortunately what else <laughs> oh and isn't there a wire record it's just got a, like a pink yeah, that's right. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we're oh, onto something. Is, uh, yeah, I think we should. Let's build you're it out. Some, yeah, let's put let's it. Let's build it out. Shared playlist. Exactly. Warm open vibes. It open it up to the public and anyone who wants to dump pink Yeah. red. Well, it's like, it's cool. Like if you, I love how Spotify, it, when you're playing a song, like sometimes has those videos now. Yeah. The, the mini 
They're yeah, cool. some of them I are did cool. One for someone, I forget what it's called. It's eight seconds. Yeah. Eight, oh, it's called Canvas. It, yeah, it's like eight seconds is a very specific thing that you have to do. Yeah. Do you know like Alex Cameron? I don't. He's a, oh, he's an amazing musician and um, really sarcastic, sort of show tuney like karaoke vibe songs there's some wonderful kind of like destroyer but even more sarcastic and all of his videos that he has for his recent albums are just they're pretty cool sounds good yeah i'm into them (laughs) um yeah let's do the pink and red thing that's a that sounds like a fun project definitely there's got to be you know a ton right yeah, I am surprised. Was there a I pink haven't... Weezer record? Oh, probably. Well, there's Pinkerton. That's yeah. not pink though. Um, but yeah, that okay. That's our project. We'll <laughs> That's our drop homework the, assignment. We'll, we'll drop the link with the podcast of the the pink and red playlist. Yeah, everyone add accordingly. Yes. Sounds good. So, what are you working on now? What do you have coming up? Anything you want to share with the people who've yeah through our two hour (laughs) oh my gosh yes well i'm currently like i just had a big solo show happen in new york at hollis taggart it ended like a few days ago so right now i am just like taking a moment and like doing some refreshments in the studio and then gardening no it's like you know it's too cold now too cold (laughs) <laughs> I, I I just planted a bunch of garlic because it's that time of year and that's oh, nice. about the last t- I can do. Um, well, but, I just learned something. I didn't realize that this is the time to plant garlic. Yeah, it has to go through a process called stratification, which means it has to be cold to grow later. It has to be triggered by the cold to know when to grow in the warm. Isn't I love cool? garlic. Yeah, that's yeah. really cool. It's a wonder food. Like it, Anytime I'm not feeling good, I just make like a, I'd take a whole clove and like mince it and then saute it with like and then do like a fried rice or something with like oh, kimchi it's so good. and it's just it's the it, best it, it like clears your system it just you know goes to war with whatever's bad inside of you it's absolutely true and you know I have you know I plant like a, about 150 bulbs a year nice I mean so I you love don't have to buy garlic. buy garlic the rest of the year and it's so cool it's the first thing that shows up in the spring it's the first thing that buds up and you're just like, ah, garlic is coming. But I, you know, I, this is the first time, like I let myself kind of just take a little bit of a break. Like you're allowed. I was like, I, well, I did curate this really fun show with a friend at my house for Halloween that had like 40 artists. Like that was like my thing to work on during my show, you know, like that was awesome. And then all through the graveyard that I have in my backyard and nice. that kind of stuff. So, um, but I just bust, I've been decided I'm just going to start drawing and which I don't let myself do as much. And I'm, yeah. So right now I'm just working on a bunch of drawings and figuring out kind of the next steps of how I want to move forward. And, you know, it's like a really nice time to like finish a body of work and like let yourself reflect on it. And definitely, um, start moving more, like move slowly back into the studio. Like, but yeah, I have some, you know, shows coming up in the next year, but they're sort of in the works and, you know, more details soon on that for sure. But sounds good. Yeah. Well, remember 
Bill Callahan always has the answers. He always has. And the if answers. he doesn't have an album that's pink on the cover, he's <laughs> listening now. He should. You, yeah, you should definitely. You make gotta it. throw out an EP. Right. <laughs> Maybe you could make the artwork for it. Exactly. Yeah. Like an side pink piece. A side B and rarities album. See, man, a lot of good ideas coming out of this one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, awesome. I, I feel like I could probably talk to you for like five straight hours. Yeah, probably, but you know, that's you're from. We're from. We're like mid, you're Midwestern too, right? Yeah, I think Pittsburgh qualifies. But yeah, I think Pennsylvania. So you know, <laughs> exactly. It's There's like a, blue collar. It's a vibe. We could just go for hours. It's totally. Yeah. And you're awesome and cool, and we have a lot oh, to talk about. So it's too kind. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Well, thank. It was so great to to take the time to and to to get to know you and to meet over over this and hopefully IRL soon. Yeah, absolutely. And um, congratulations on the show and and being very comfortable and having that place that you live and work in. It sounds so nice and growing garlic. Yeah. Good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe next you know next summer I'll give you a few cl- a few bulbs as a if I ever get to see you in person. <laughs> that sounds great. I look forward to the, the the residency that you will soon be doing and the annex building that you're going to build on your property for oh, all yeah. the artist friends to come for up the, and do a residency. For the family residency. Like, yeah, friends with fams, come on yeah. by. <laughs> sounds good. Okay. <laughs> Take care. Uh, thanks a lot. Okay. Sound and Vision is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Brian Alfred. You can really help out the podcast by going to iTunes and leaving a rating and review or on whatever platform you're listening to the podcast. Also, you can find out more about Leah's work by checking out her website or her Instagram account. You can find out more about the podcast at Sound and Vision Podcast on Instagram or soundandvisionpodcast.com. You can find out more about my work at brianalfred.net. Many thanks to Michael Lovett for the intro. Weird Inside for the intro outro music that you're hearing now. Many thanks to all the listeners. Also, sponsors, Golden Artist Colors and Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. Don't forget, if you put in the code Alfred Studio when you buy Fulcrum Coffee from their website, you get 20% off. I've been kind of heavy on the Fulcrum Coffee lately, and it's really good. I have a project coming out with them pretty soon too in time for the holidays which i'm excited about i'll be sharing with you soon so that's coming up also 